All right, and we're back. Today we are talking about um, ways that we as Christians uh, and even local churches as a whole can feel like we're on the forefront of Christianity. Uh, What do I mean by that? Ways that we can not only long for, but feel like we, um, we have found a secret to Christianity. We've unlocked true Christianity, true walking with God, that sort of thing. So um, if you don't know, my name is Colin Coates here with Jeff Hatton, as always. Um, uh, We are going to first, here's what we're going to do. And I'm going to say this out loud to keep us accountable. Um, We're going to first talk about why, what is that drive in us to constantly feel like there's something more for us as Christians. There's something more for us, for us as churches. What is driving that hunger? Um, number one, number two, what are ways that we can fill that hole? Like we have this sense of there's something more for me. There's something more for our church. Mm-hmm. And what are the ways that we can, um, that we can, we can go and I found it. Here's the something more, you know, we're going to talk about different ways that we feel like we found that secret or we're on the forefront of Christianity and everyone else, uh, is losing out and missing out how those ways can fail us ultimately and what is the way forward, okay? So basically four kind of different pieces to this. Mm-hmm. And that may sound a little daunting for this episode, but as always, we try to keep this at like 20 minutes, um, anywhere from 20 to 87 minutes. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. we were talking about this before we hit record, uh, uh, and, and I think it'd be helpful to share what yeah. you were sharing about uh, your seminary professor, Dr. Hannah, talking about what is what is driving us? Yeah, that's so good. So um, we're in a class, it's a class full of pastors. Um, and we're actually, we're studying uh, the first great awakening and the second great awakening. Um, and Hannah, Dr. Hannah was transitioning between the differences between the first and second. And when he shifted to the second, he said, he kind of went into uh, almost a dramatization. He just started acting like a, a second great awakening preacher or teacher, and what was very common in that day, and that was to begin by talking to your Bible study or your home group or your community group, your small group Bible study, or even the church, and saying things like, are you missing something in your relationship with God? Um, Can you explain, there's just this, this ache and this desire and this emptiness and this unfulfilled longing uh, this hole in your soul and relation to God, relation to maybe your marriage and just connecting to people and even the church and even your just your sense of purpose and meaning in the world and at work and you just start painting this huge um, thing that we all can relate to is like, yes, something's missing. And then he shifted and he says, and what you could do at that point uh, is you could actually build a movement, build a church, build a teaching around giving the answer to that. Well, here's what you're missing. And then here's the secret ingredient. Here's the, the super saint technique. Um, and therefore, you have a bestseller. Therefore, you have a discipleship manual. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you have a conference all based on trying to identify what everybody can identify and then filling it. But then Mm -hmm. at the end, he goes, do you know what you're missing? You know, we're all, (laughs) we're all leading forward because he was doing exactly what, 
we were feeling it when he was saying it. Yeah, I'm missing something. He goes, do you know what you're missing? We're like, what are we missing, Dr. Hannah? Glory. Mm-hmm. You're missing glory. You're not home yet. Mm-hmm. And you will never be home in this life. So you will always have a God-sized, God-shaped hole in your soul. You will always ache. You will always have something missing uh, in everything. You as a person, your job, your marriage, your connectedness with friends, how you, how you feel disconnected, all of that is this, the life, mm-hmm. no matter where you are. When you read the Bible, um, so anyhow, it was really... a. And interesting, I never forgot it, obviously, and and even when I was beginning this church plant, I was like, I could see where it's so tempting to shift to the other side and to, theologically, people would call it, give an over-realized eschatology, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, so that's wishing, what it is. Over-realized es- eschatology meaning wi- wishing and almost trying to create this life today, this moment, like glory in yes. heaven and that's that's just not our reality yet i think it's helpful to talk about this motivation and what kind of drives us to sometimes want to get on the forefront of the next thing in the church or christianity or feel like we're there and look down on others because they're not with us it's helpful to know because we're not talking about whether or not you should have that kind of yearning and longing that can be in us it just is there we wake up in a world right now that's not as it should be. We are not as we should be. This is not glory. We are headed to something much better as Christians, um, to to glorification in the new heavens, the new earth, and where sin and uh, death are no more. And and we can go wrong in trying to create that now, or um, or thinking that maybe in some way we've like opened up, we've like poked a hole in the heavens, and we're getting like. Uh, you know, it's draining into our lives in some special secret way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I jotted down a couple notes of ways that I, I can see this happen. I think we should probably pick on ourselves yeah. first and then last. Yeah. So, but I think there's a couple ways. I think there's a couple ways in the church that I see, and we'll try to hit some of these, but just, just as like a, a smattering, I see us doing it in the church with things like community. Like we have discovered the way of living in community in a, in a way that like opens the heavens on us. Mm. And we are somehow on the forefront of being Christians because of how we do community, how we do small groups at our church. Um, I see it with spiritual disciplines. Like if you do spiritual disciplines in this form and way, and at this time of the day, you've unlocked something. That's an incredibly popular one today. See it with the Holy Spirit. Seminaries are big on that right now. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I see with the, the spirit where we have unlocked the secret of the Holy spirit. We're on the forefront of the Holy spirit and, and, uh, we need to bring all these kind of like spiritless churches up to speed. Um, Let's pick on ourselves. I want it first and last because we're, <laughs> I see it also with theology. No, um, no, not theology. But and then I'll end. I'll end maybe with another one that I think is is probably somehow we do. So, how are ways? And we'll just riff on this because yeah. we didn't we didn't really talk any of this through in depth. But how are ways that we can be can think? I'm on the forefront of. Uh, theology in the church or my church is on the forefront of theology and man, if we could only get all these losers up to speed with us. Yeah. I mean, you start pursuing the the doctrinal, theological, the mental, the intellectual, 
uh, the getting it right, getting it known, uh, beat into your head, um, which is all good stuff, right? I mean, it's good to have good doctrine. Yes, <laughs> it's, for sure. It, right, all of that's good stuff. But again, we're talking about um, turning it into something that it's not, uh, turning it into an end in itself. So all these things that we're talking about, um, we're wanting uh, not just to pray, but we're wanting to pray to commune with Jesus Mm -hmm. and his salvation. We don't just want to read our Bibles. We're reading our Bibles to commune, enjoy Jesus and his salvation. So it's the same in theology. Mm -hmm. Um, If you separate theology from the person and work of Christ, Mm -hmm. if the gospel is not the center of your theology, I mean, let's face it, that's what theology is, right? I mean, we're told, John tells us, look, uh, you want to know who God is? Uh, he's Jesus. Jesus actually exegetes God for us. You want to know who God is? Jesus makes him known. He's the exegesis, the narration of God. He's the exposition of who God is. So uh, theology is absolutely Christ-centered uh, and has its meaning rooted in the person and work of Christ. So uh, we do that. Um, our tradition does this. Uh, we can become very uh, abstract theology can become abstract, uh, and it certainly becomes abstract and ethereal and kind of floats up there above your life when Jesus and his salvation isn't the center of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it turns more philosophical, and, and it's also pretty just disjointed. There's a way of talking about it that's a little technical, but in our tra- since we're in our tradition real quick, it's called systematic theology and biblical theology. And biblical theology uh, deals with the story of the Bible, theology coming out of the storyline of the Bible. Uh, systematics then takes a step back and says, it looks at the story and says, well, tell me about that character and tell me about that conflict over there, right? Mm-hmm. So sin, let's talk about sin. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the character of God. Uh, both of them work together beautifully in a mosaic mm-hmm. that serves the church and Christianity. But however, um, if you divorce them, uh, you get you get the uh, bodybuilder with no legs. Mm-hmm. You get overdeveloped in one area, and you're greatly underdeveloped yeah. in other areas, and it ends up not being helpful. I think it can look like too um, a kind of isolationism. Like, how, how would I know if I if I feel like I'm on the forefront of theology and I've got it all right, and all these other Christians are so dumb? I think it, that could play out like an isolationism of like um, uh, this real tight. Uh, almost like tribalism where yeah. I have no interest w- maybe on the church level, like my church, we have no interest in having relationships, connections, partnerships with any other church as healthy as that church might be yeah. because we disagree on this like super fine theological point, yeah. right? Some abstract. Doctrine. Yeah. Yeah. So this is happening in our own uh, broader church world, I think, where, I mean, we can just get so fine uh, with our theological slicing and dicing where it's like, man, um, 
to like are we all are we enemies are we yeah. all anyway um but i think it can look like that or like i have no interest in making friends with anyone like outside of my own church circle yeah because honestly they just don't really understand theology you right. know it's like they don't understand fine wine like i'm not going to go drink barefoot with these <laughs> losers you know right. i think it can play out that way where oh if that's kind of where i've been there uh, hopefully I'm not there, you know, I'm sure I am to some degree, uh, sinfully or something, but you know, if you're there, it's like, well, maybe you, maybe you're not just doing theology for Jesus sake. Now it's like, you think you're on the forefront. You're the king of the hill. You're the gatekeeper too. You're I think gate, what yeah. ends up happening is most of the time these churches are incredibly small and they're like the gatekeeper. And then there'll be a a gatekeeper leader or two that's self-appointed that they are the, the gatekeeper yeah. of this particular doctrine. And what's fascinating, and it's incredibly sad, is that the ministry then becomes the education of your doctrine. Mm-hmm. It's info ministry. Yeah, right, right, right. It's not gospel ministry. Right. It's not unleashing the power of the gospel into people's life. Yeah. It's now... Jesus could still be in the tomb and that info ministry could actually probably still thrive. Yeah. You could still just know all this information, even though Jesus is actually dead, you know? Yes. It's like, is he alive? Is this really about a living, active God in our lives? Um, that probably picks on us in, in our world the most. I think that's appropriate to start with. I've seen this just to riff on this. I've seen this um, with the spirit. That's also my, at least part of my Christian journey was in the more charismatic world among our charismatic brothers and sisters and you can see it with the holy spirit to kind of give i guess if you were to do caricatures like on the one side you've got like heady theology and then on the other side it's like i don't care so much about doctrine i just want to connect experience. with the holy spirit yeah. and experience the holy spirit which which it probably doesn't need to be said but i'll say it that theology is good the mm-hmm. holy spirit is good right I feel stupid for saying that these things are good spiritual disciplines. You know, it's not about these things in them in and of themselves. It's about whether or not we've made them the chief end of man. Yeah. Uh, the chief end of man is just to know good theology, um, as opposed to knowing God yeah. and having life with him. But I think we can do it with the Holy spirit where we think we have finally discovered the real spirit filled life. We have finally discovered how to get more of the Holy spirit um, we've discovered how to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and from experience, I know that, that um, when you feel like when that turns into this kind of, uh, again, prideful, I think pride is the theme in all of this. Yeah. It's this prideful thing where then you look back out on all the other churches and all the other Christians, and you're like, you're a Christian, you're going to heaven, but like, you you really are missing out on essentially everything. Um, you hardly have God in your life at all. Um, and and I've got the key for you on how to get more of the Holy Spirit. And so does that key then, that's the whole ministry then, right? Exactly. The whole point of the, the ministry is the now church can them. become, the whole point of your Christian walk yeah. can become like, and, and really what it can boil down to is like the next experience with the Holy Spirit. The mm-hmm. last experience yesterday morning is over and done with. Yeah. Like that's done. The gas tank has gone empty and I need the next experience. And and that experience could, I mean, so many of this can splinter off into countless ways, right? That could be like, I need to feel a certain way. And uh-huh. if I feel a certain way when I'm reading the Bible, um, I know the Spirit's at work, you mm-hmm. know, or I need a particular spiritual gift to show and prove that I've got the Holy Spirit. Um, so there's a common theme. The common theme is wow. activating God, right? And then yeah. the common theme is 
God's at work by these means. So my tradition, uh, it's so interesting how it's similar for all these particular uh, areas that we're looking at. So my background is is like ministry activism, you know, evangelism, discipleship, yeah. going all over the world and life change. Yeah. And then finding uh, the way you really change and become holy, uh, what the next thing is. And it could be something like experiential or it could be something highly doctrinal mm-hmm. or it could be something like incredibly practical, a discipline. So it's in, my, so my tradition's more parachurch. And so they took everything, man. They were like, does that work? Maybe pragmatism is more the the case. It yeah, was like, yeah. hey, does that work for life change right. and holiness? Do that. Does that work for ministry effectiveness and reaching somebody and discipling somebody? Do that. So our my world was more that way, but it was still the same. It was, you know, if you are doing ministry, you are on the front lines of God yeah. being at work. Yeah. You are on the front lines of communing yeah. with God. Hands down. I absolutely felt that. I think a lot of this very simply can also boil down to essentially what we're trying to get at here is we make ways. It, these are these are ways of self-justification, self-righteousness, bottom line. Like, I'm really good at theology, and therefore God loves me more. Yep. I, I, I am really good at theology, and therefore I am more confident that God will hear my prayers. And I am less confident he will hear yours, dummy. Yeah. You know? Um, you don't speak in tongues, I doubt God will really listen to you. I do speak in tongues, so God will listen to me, for illustration's sake here. Um, So, and that can go on in in many ways. Oh, you you don't do small group ministry at your church? Well, Hmm. I doubt God is present among you, you know? Um, You don't wake up and read your Bible the first thing you do before you roll out of bed? Yeah. You, You have to drink coffee first? Yeah. How dare you? You know, I doubt God is at work in your life. So I think that that simply it can boil down to this sense of have we taken a great thing like theology or the Holy Spirit or reading our Bibles and praying and made it our Savior? Yeah. This is what saves me. This is what makes God love me. This is what this is what activates God in my life. And it's so fascinating is that the Bible calls that idolatry. Mm-hmm. And we can see it. Like clean as day that that's exactly what we do. Why do we think that we don't turn these things into idolatry? Good things, like even like church traditions and high church worship and different facets of liturgy. I mean, you can see how we just fluctuate in and out of these things. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've gone from one tradition to the next tradition to the next theological stripe to the next thing that's happening to the next, to the next, to the next. And maybe maybe now you're starting to see that the real bottom line is, oh man, what I'm really looking for is Jesus and his salvation. Mm -hmm. Uh, That that's what I'm looking for, that that's the power of all the connection with God. And you can still be missing glory at the same Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. and still be okay. Yeah. Um, So it is, we're all looking for a savior. I think with age, this is one thing, I'm 33, and I think with age, some of these things naturally show themselves to be false gods, false saviors. Um, well, and part, partly what I mean by that, like for instance, I've seen this a lot, especially in the more charismatic world, where I think it, it can appeal 
to young people more? I mean, I could go through every example and say kind of to, to kind of shift to the topic of how these things can fail us. Like, um, I think it can appeal to us younger when we're younger a bit more because we think finally I found what I'm looking for. You know, I didn't, I, we're all longing for glory, but I think I found it here in this, these magical experiences with the Holy spirit that seem to only be happening at this church. I don't know why God only loves this church and he's only sending the spirit to this church, but it seems to be happening that way. Um, but then maybe with age, some of that hype wears out, uh, some of that excitement, some of that emotional highs wear out. And this could literally come on by like, you got married, you had kids, life is hard and life hurts. And you're going, man, I thought the Holy Spirit was just supposed to fix all this stuff overnight. You know, Um, what about all those miracles? Like, why do I have this disease? Why did my spouse, why did my kid, you know, like, Mm. I think life wears on us and sometimes we can age out. But I think what happens is, is when, when these things fail us, it's crushing Mm -hmm. because we don't realize how much we've put our hope in them. I've been, you know, uh, having a faithful quiet time every single day for the past five years. And then I got married and we, I was doing it with my spouse faithfully, you know, and, uh, and then I had a kid and couldn't figure out, you know, I look up in three months and can't even find my Bible. <laughs> I haven't had a quiet time in months. I'm completely exhausted. We're up all night. My baby is colicky, you know, like, and then suddenly you don't know where to go yeah. because you realize, I think I've been putting my hope in treating my quiet time like my savior. Yeah. And now when I haven't had it, I'm, I'm literally not explicitly, but like in my heart, I'm almost wondering, do I have a savior who loves yeah. me? Why do I feel that way? Well, you feel like that because you've been making your quiet time, your savior. Yeah. I, I've, I've, this is an experience I know personally, I'm yeah. not picking on other people you realize, whoa, I don't think the quiet time was about Jesus. Yeah. I think it was about the quiet time. Yeah. Oh, same. Get that. And you know, the other aspect to that is that devastation of feeling so disconnected with God and and not knowing how to make that reconnection. Mm-hmm. But I know for me and my background, it was I began to see Christians in two levels. I began to see an A team and a B team. For sure. And... Uh, and that's incredibly destructive and harmful. Yeah. And even if you don't like theologically spell it out that way and say there's an A team or a B team, uh, my wife would say it all the time uh, <laughs> when, as we raise our kids. She would say, honey, even though you're not saying it, everyone feels it. And it's so true. Mm-hmm. And ministry, even if you don't say there's an A team and a B team when you have your whatever it is, your church tradition that you're putting your hope in or your experience with God that you're putting your hope in or your view of the Holy Spirit and the gifts or your spiritual disciplines or some special anointed individual or some particular discipleship manual uh, or teaching that your church has, um, you've created an A team and a B team. Mm -hmm. And ministry becomes getting everybody from the B team up to the A team. And the people that that don't make it up to the A-team feel like absolute losers. They're not even on the B-team. They go to the bench, and they think it doesn't work. When it doesn't work for them, they have nowhere else to go. Mm -hmm. And then the A-team just feels further established, and it's kind of high on its drug of Mm self-righteousness. 
until obviously God in his grace and his mercy, like he's done in my life, will just let it crash. Yeah, right. Strip it away. Yep. To put him more at the center, right? Yeah. We're all guilty in, in all these different ways, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of was joking with my wife about this because we were kind of talking about these things of different ways we can feel like we're on the forefront of ministry. And she was like, what's our thing? You know, what's our, what's our thing? I think theology can be a big one in our world. And I seriously, not giving it really much thought, but seriously, and also kind of joking, but seriously was like, our thing is probably boasting and doing nothing. And what I mean by that is like, uh, we emphasize rest a lot at our church, you know, and, and especially in, in the, the gospel awakening, you know, of like, Hey, we don't have to do anything to get God to love us, which is true. Um, but perhaps, perhaps ways we can fail is, is like, Hey, you guys are doing nothing, you know, like, uh, you know, obviously no church is probably just doing nothing, but right, you get my right. drift, the yeah. caricature, you know, of like, Hey, maybe you should do something. Yeah. You know? And we're like, do some ministry, go, we don't, yeah, go make friends. We don't want to like conversations. make yeah. a God out of ministry and doing stuff, you know? And then we learn that, well, actually God is actually doing stuff, you know, he actually yeah. is involved. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, I- anyways, uh, last thing to keep this for time's sake, just to hit this, you know, as we kind of were asking, okay, what does repentance look like when we realize this? I think I'm making a God out of theology. I think I'm making theology. My, if I'm right, I'll save myself. You know, I, I think repentance is as simple as how do we repent of, of coveting? How do we repent of lust? Well, you turn from it to Jesus. Mm-hmm. How do I repent of making Bible reading my savior? It's not stop reading your Bible. It's repent to Jesus by way of the Bible, you know, by way of prayer. Repent to God. Right now, I am making an idol out of my prayer. I am I am thinking that if I pray to you for fifteen minutes straight, uh, you will now have to love me. Yeah, and And bless me. Yeah, the repentance is I'm going to stop praying. No, actually, just talk to God and tell God prayer. God, this is what I'm thinking, and I confess it to you. Yeah. You know, um, I, I've been making an idol out of my community group. If we just have the best small group ministry, um, it'll save me. It'll sanctify me. You know what? Maybe I'm going to tell my friends in my community that I'm doing that. <laughs> you know, I'm making an idol out of this thing. Maybe I'm going to not do a small group for like six months, a yeah. formal one. Yeah. Still going to have friends. Really? Still going to be in community, but I'm not going to do a formal small group yeah. just to chop that tree down, yeah. you know, and, and remind myself, no, oh, oh yeah, Jesus saves me. Yeah. Um, so I think we're just repenting to Jesus. It's yeah. not taking good things and throwing them out. We want to be good theologians, read our Bible, pray, live in community, have spiritual disciplines, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think that's so important to emphasize that it's not complicated repentance Mm. is never complicated the way back so to speak or the way forward so to speak is never complicated it's breathe the fresh air of jesus again it's turn back to jesus let jesus address you're you're looking for that thing to give you and provide for you what only jesus and his salvation can give you and provide for you and once we realize that it's by God's grace, um, we start 
turning and moving more towards Jesus and his salvation in very specific ways, very textured ways, like ways that address what I'm doing and what I'm looking for in this thing or that thing or that strategy or that form of works righteousness or that form of law keeping. And then I think just to speak to our tradition and maybe our church, when that happens, y'all, our church, uh, there's energy and life that comes from that. There's the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's energy. Mm-hmm. There's doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. There's, man, I, man, I want to be a part of what God's doing in the world. And man, Lord, send me. Can you send me? Can I run back and tell everybody about this? Um, it's, being brave and stepping in and being a part of what God's doing in your family, uh, in your community, at work, uh, in Waco, in your church. All right. That's it for today. Went a little long trailer teaser for next week. I think what I want to talk about um, is the reality or uh, let's see how to say this. Do we talk to God and worship casually and really honestly, uh, or do we do it formally? So for instance, this is what I want to talk about next week on the podcast. When you're praying, can you talk to God like you would talk to your friend? Or should you talk to God, oh God, oh Lord, my God in the heavens, thou knowest me and seest me, I come thee now into prayer. I want to talk about that whole reality of like formal worship and informal worship, formal prayer, informal prayer. How do we come to God? Um, Is it one or the other? Is it both? How does that all work? So that's what we're going to do next week. Until then, 